Bob Dylan, Sly and Robbie, and even, or especially, Dr. Dredd. This is the remix that came out um, for Record Store Day this past July. And it's the remix of the song that Sly and Robbie did with Bob Dylan, with Robert Zimmerman, Joker Man, as we pay tribute and salute and um, honor and just join together in heart and mind and sorrow and in gratitude for the life of Robert Shakespeare. Thank you. There are so many people tuning in. Sanjay, I just noticed you're listening. I don't know if you're in India or if you're in Cali, but either way, welcome and thank you. And Jim... Marshall out in California, thank you. And um, it is 3.40, it's 2.45, 2.45 p.m. here um, on the East Coast. And I am now going to bring in a member of the WPKN family and a drummer extraordinaire and someone who had a very close relationship or close period of time with Robbie. And I am talking about the talking head, Chris Franz, who has patiently waited. Hi, Chris. Hi, Amy. Hi. Uh, How are you today? You know, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's like, I can't believe I just saw you Tuesday night at the Soho Grand in in New York City. Um, yeah. You know, you were DJing. It was the greatest thing. It was like being in the 80s again. And it was such a high and happy time. And then one day later, this like news arrived. Yeah, I, I was so, I'm so sorry to hear about Robbie. You know, um, I, I didn't even know he was not well, but um to be honest, I hadn't seen him for a few years. The, the last time I saw Robbie, he was eating a big ice cream cone at the corner of like, uh, oh, uh, it was 8th Street and, you know, right around the corner from Electric Lady. Oh, oh, oh so between 6th, like he, off 6th Avenue and 8th Street. Ish. Yes. Uh, well, t- towards towards Broadway, more towards Broadway. Oh, hmm. what is that? Uh, uh, McDougal. I oh, guess. McDougal. You're. That's absolutely right. Where like Shakespeare's used to be and Monk's thrift that's store. That's right. But yeah. it, and, and it was really good to see him. Uh, he was enjoying his ice cream. You know, he did like to eat. Rob, he did. Well, you know, it's it's sad or funny or ironic you say that because in the New York Times article today, I don't know if you read it yet. I didn't. Okay, no. so the first one that kind of reveals some medical issues, you know, which hasn't really, no one said much, but uh-huh. it, it, it implied he had uh, diabetes for uh, quite some time. So, Oh, I see. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, but you know what a wonderful uh musician he was uh, uh i i think you would agree he was kind of a man of few words he he was he was not somebody you you had long conversations with at least i didn't but but uh he was very warm always very warm to me and tina and um uh, I think the first time we met, it was in London when when he and Sly were were playing with uh, Peter Tosh, uh, Word, Sound, and Power, or whatever they called themselves at that time, and uh, it was a great show. And 
we went backstage and and every everybody was having you know roast fish <laughs> and cornbread and, and cornbread and stuff like that and um, we said hello and then then the next time we met was very is very interesting I, it was the the early days of compass point and um, uh, Tina and I pulled up in our little car and there were no street lights around compass point at that time at nighttime it was dark and uh, we got out of our little rental car and I stood up and, and there was Robbie Shakespeare standing right in front of me which kind of startled me at first <laughs> and and uh, I said oh you're Robbie Shakespeare and he said yeah man you Chris France and I said yeah I said so what's happening? And he said, I'm just looking for some roast fish. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was uh, when they were beginning. It was uh, they were be- about to begin the first Grace Jones album, uh, Warm Leatherette. The, well, the first album that they all played on. Is that Poppy who's barking in the background? Poppy and Kiki, and and uh, every time a delivery man comes up the driveway, they go nuts. Be quiet, y'all. So, so anyway, uh, uh, so he was looking for roast fish. So far, Chris, your Robbie stories are very food oriented. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think he did love love his food. He, you know, he did. He was not a person who took drugs of any kind. That I'm aware of, no, no marijuana, no, you know, sniffing anything, uh, nothing like that. Neither did Sly. I was they just going to say very... to you, sorry, now that you say that, like thinking back on all the years of, you know, hanging out backstage or meeting up at a hotel for an interview, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think either of those men ha- ever had. They're they're both very sober people, but uh, smart, very smart. And I I must say that, um, you know, uh, Tina wrote a line in our fairly well-known song, Genius of Love. One of the lines is, uh, reggae's expanding with Sly and Robbie. And, And this was at a point in time when some people felt, I know Tina and I felt that reggae had kind of like, uh, reached uh, reached a point and it wasn't really evolving anymore. It was kind of stuck. And um, uh, not that there was anything wrong with it. It, w- it was just st- starting to get a little samey. And this was about the time that Cy and Robbie came in into the picture, at least in our lives, and they uh, they really pushed the reggae envelope. Uh, uh, songs like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and, uh, you know, Spongy Reggae and uh, uh, with Black Uhuru come to mind. It was a whole new sound for reggae, which I was very grateful for at the time because I I loved reggae, but as with rock and roll, I I wanted to hear something new every once in a while. And and Robbie really brought it, and so did Sly. And they, they, uh, I I believe that Robbie, uh, Tina always remarked on what great 
tone he had on his guitar. Um, he claimed that he ne- he never changed his strings, and uh, he's not the only bass player that felt that way. It's like when you got a good tone on your guitar, just leave it. <laughs> just let it set. That's funny. A few of the articles, you know, re- obituaries, I don't like that word, but yeah, the tribute articles to him have mentioned that. About Uh not changing his strings. Do you think it's true or do you think it's one of those, you know, urban legends? No, I think it's true. And, and, uh, you know, he played very lightly. He was not one of those guys that was a hard player, although although the the tone was so good that it, it, you know, he could turn up the volume and it would sound loud. And he he liked to play loud. you know, uh, another thing about Sly and Robbie is the feel that they had is was so unique. Uh, Robbie's feel on the bass guitar was unique unto himself. No, nobody else was doing that, and he could copy other like bass players, like uh, you know Sly and the Family Stone or some some you know Larry Graham or something like that if he wanted to. But he really had his own style. And uh, uh, I don't think very many people could copy that. And he he um, he was also uh, n- uh, not a person who pussyfooted around when it came to recording. If if he didn't feel, oh, hello. I'm sorry, I'm here. <laughs> it's uh, okay. If if he didn't feel it uh, within. The second take, forget about it. it you know, move on to the next song. It was it was remarkable how fast they they, you know, they would rehearse a song a few times and then just say, okay, blood light, and turn on the recording light, and off they would go. And usually they got it the first time. If they didn't get it the first time, they'd try one more time, one one second take. But if they didn't get it by the second take, they were done with that that song. On to the next one. <laughs> Bloodlight. Bloodlight. Yeah. I love that. Now, so were you, like, are they on Genius of Love? Or there's just the tribute to him? Or are they on that album, rather? Or is that just... They, they along with Tina and I... They came into the studio. We were in studio. They were in Studio A at Compass Point with Grace Jones. We were in Studio B at Compass Point right next door uh, working on Tom Tom Club and our first Tom Tom Club album. And uh, when we needed uh, hand claps on Genius of Love, which has that line, Reggae's Expanding with Sly and Robbie. Our engineer, who's also a young Jamaican named Stephen Stanley, said... Oh, Stephen Stanley, of course. Yeah, Stephen yeah. recorded the Tom Tom Club and mixed it and everything. And uh, Stephen said, well, let's get Sly and Robbie in here. So that's when, that's when they came in for the hand claps on Genius of Love, which we did. Uh, Stevie said, okay, again. And then we, we, you know, the song at that time had had not been edited down, so it was like eight minutes long. And I don't know if you've ever clapped your hands hard for <laughs> a minute, but 
it's painful. And, th- and then we had to do it again and again and again until he had four tracks of hand claps, which he uh, mixed together. And uh, they, they agreed to do it because we played them a, the song and they heard that, that line, Robbie heard that line, reggae's expanding with Sly and Robbie. And he, uh, he said, oh, man, this is going to be a hit. And I said, oh, good. I'm glad you feel that way. He said, you should bus it straight to Paris. And we pretty much did that. We 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 released it in Paris, and it was a hit. <laughs> he was right. He was right. Well, if you don't mind holding on, um, I'd like to play that and a few other songs and then bring you back in. Are, are you available? Yeah, I... I Yes, for you. Oh, of wait, course. Wait, oh, darling. But wait, what is something happening soon? I don't want to. I have hold. to uh, take something over to my brother who's uh, having some health issues. But uh, oh, Chris. but but it, it, I, I've got a half hour or so here. Okay, I didn't. E- I, I was thinking maybe ten or fifteen minutes at the most. Okay, so good, that good. good. Okay, all right, Chris. Thanks a million. These are this is fascinating and and good to hear. And thanks. Sure.
Reggae's expanding on WPKN Bridgeport.
bring this song down and bring Chris back up because I want to be um, conscious of his time. Respectful. Hello. Yeah, hello. Ah, <laughs> thank you for being there. Oh, ha- I'm happy to be here, Amy, and to honor Robbie. It felt so important, you know. I know once in a while we're both here on the same Friday, but since I saw you the other Friday, I knew that it wouldn't be this Friday, so... Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so thanks. Um, so wh- I, I'm just wondering, so this was 1981 that um, the Tom Tom Club album with Genius of Love was released. Had uh-huh. Bob died yet? He died in... May of eighty one, or was he alive while you were recording? He he uh, he died. He he. Let's see. We we started that recording in March. He died shortly after we finished recording. Wow, that what was that? I mean, so you, when you started, he was alive, and before the line about Sly and Robbie is the wailing and skanking with Bob Marley, so he was alive, and yeah. then you f- ended, and he was not alive, and you were at Compass Point with such a um, nucleus of of kind of Bob Marley related people. Yes, Tyrone Downey was there. Uh, in fact, Tyrone was living in the apartment below us. And then on the other, uh, Chris Blackwell, who owned, you know, Island Records and, and Compass Point Studio, decided to build a, a, a nice little apartment house behind the studio in the hopes that we would, he wanted to start like an artist's colony or a musician's colony down there. And um, so he, we had an apartment. Um, Tyrone had an apartment. Uh, Sly and Robbie each had an apartment. Um, Sticky Thompson had an apartment. And uh, I, I think Mikey Chung had an apartment. And uh, Wally Badaru, Barry Reynolds, all all of the Compass Point All Stars, and Chris and Tina, and at that time even Joe Cocker was there. Oh um, man! With uh, uh, and Sean Connery, Sean Connery was James Bond on the t- was there. James yeah, Bond. It was, oh my God! It was a wild time, and and. Um, you know, Robbie was not a particularly, uh, he was no social butterfly or anything like that. He he was all about the business, and um, he he would work very hard in the studio, and then he would go to his apartment. He had, a, he had one of the guys in the village next door whose name was Cowboy, and Cowboy was a fisherman, and he would go out and get a, uh, some snapper or grouper in his little boat and bring it back and cook it up for for uh sly and robbie uh, you know along with the other things they liked plantains and peas and rice and stuff like that uh, and uh so so anyway they um uh, robbie in particular were kind of kept to himself i would say uh he, he, he but but when it came to the to uh when it came to working in the studio, he was all about the work. Yeah. And uh, yeah. if I could talk to him right now, I would tell him, 
You know, Robbie, you did it, man. You really did it. You achieved greatness. You took your genre of music, reggae, to even higher heights. And uh, I would like to thank him for that. And I thank you for your thanks. I think we all want to thank him. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I know um, earlier you mentioned you and I were talking online and you mentioned Ian Dury. So I was like, oh, is my Ian Dury yeah. record here? Or is it at David's house? So I found reasons to be cheerful, but that's not the album Robbie's on. They were on the next album, right? Spastic Fantastic. Yeah, I was um, Autistic Spastic. Spasticus Autisticus. Yeah, a name which might not carry such a... You know, I don't though I guess Ian, whatever, he was entitled to call it. Ian, it, that, that particular song, Spasticus, was banned in England. Uh, but he, he, he was like, how can they ban it? I'm spastic myself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, Sly and Robbie played on that. And uh, um, it, it's an interesting story. Uh, they... they, they the band, you, you know, Ian had had kind of a, a small budget, you you might say, and because uh, you know he wasn't he wasn't having major hits around the world or anything like that at that time, and uh, I think Sly and Robbie's feet ate up the entire budget. Ooh, but uh, he felt that it was completely worth it because you know to get them on his record. And, uh, you know, it, it's a darn good record, I might add. I have to, when I do get back to, see, most of my reggae is in my apartment in the city. And most uh, of my rock is in um, the home of David out on Long Island. And now uh, that I've made that public, anyone thinking of, like, <laughs> don't bum rush my record collection. But, yeah, so I don't even know if I have that one, but maybe I do. You know, from being in the business for so long, I, I right. have Knockwood up until maybe this century got a lot of promo items. So maybe I have it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's it's online, you know, but uh, uh, yeah, that was that was fun. And I actually played on a, uh, I started playing on a Joe Cocker record with um with uh, Cornell Dupree on guitar and Wally Bataru on keyboards. And uh, the bass player was, oh gosh, he was a famous bass player, uh, his uh, R&B guy. And, and um, uh, we, we recorded a few tracks and then uh, Joe Cocker's manager came down and said, no, no, we want Sly and Robbie. So I was a little disappointed, but I must admit what they did was fantastic. And, um, you know, it was they, Sly, it was Sly and Robbie and not just. Um, it wasn't just a drummer and a bass player. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, even like today saying that we would be honoring Robbie Shakespeare I said, which also means we're honoring Sly. You know, you can't have one yeah, without the other. Yeah, it's kind of hard to separate them, although they were two distinct personalities. I mean, uh, I was there 
or I was in uh, on on the property. I was not actually in the studio when they worked with James Brown, and uh, it never happened because um, when James, according to Paul Wexler, the son of Jerry Wexler, who was the producer of that project, uh, and the Atlantic Records. Uh yeah. Connected man. Yeah. yeah. And it, well, Paul was working for, for Island at the time as an A&R guy. Oh, and it was. Um, it was his idea to have James Brown come down and, and work with Sly and Robbie. And everybody said, that's a fantastic idea. And uh, James, James Brown was kind of at a, I, I think you could say a low point in his career. Uh, he didn't have the, he didn't have the, uh, cachet or or the um, the following that he had once had and uh, the the idea of working with sly and and also robbie was to um give him a recharge you know to make him relevant again and uh he came down and everything was set to go with the compass point all-stars and everybody was in place and ready to work but the songs that James had to play for them were not particularly, uh, shall we say, uh, hit-worthy songs. They were they were not really they were not really working, and so everybody agreed that they would write some songs in the studio. And Sly and Robbie started working on it, and Wally Badaru started working on it, and they came up with these amazing new kind of grooves for James Brown. And uh, when when James when James was informed them by by the way his 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 what do you call it, manager at the time, not really manager, but the guy who was acting as his manager was the very young Reverend Al Sharpton. Oh, no. And when when, when no. the Reverend Al Sharpton oh. Oh. Uh, informed Sly and Robbie that James was going to take 100% of the writing and 100% of the publishing on each song, oh. uh, Robbie handed the bass guitar to uh, James Brown and said, here, you play it. And he walked out because he knew his value. You know, he knew that the reason James was down there working with him was because he was so good. And he knew he, he was aware of what was happening. And uh, he walked out. And uh, when Blackwell got wind of what James Brown had done, he just aborted the, the whole project. Which is a shame because uh, James should have known better. He should have shared the wealth a little bit, and he would have had a really amazing record. What a pity. What a pity. I mean, look, you know probably more than a lot of people the problem of having um, yes men and people whispering in your ear, you know, as an artist. There are so many people surrounding you that give misinformation and information they they might think is for your best interest but it's not so i'm guessing it was a little bit of that with the young reverend al yeah you know and then reverend al was at that time a protege of james brown and um and I know he 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 feels feels like james brown really kind of rescued him 
and uh, that's probably true. But uh, anyway, that that he was they were old school music business, and Sly and Robbie were trying to uh, they 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 were trying to uh, not only broaden their horizons musically, but also put some money in the bank. So uh, you can't really blame them for for. But it was, uh, I must say it was – I don't think Sly uh, – I don't think Sly objected as much as Robbie did. Right. Robbie just said, here's the bass. That's, I'm, that's a great visual to James Brown yeah, here. Play you it. play it. <laughs> wow. James Brown? James Brown. Well, all right. I've, I, I'm going to say thank you. We could talk to you forever, but I know your time's of, of the essence, and I'll let you – Carry oh, on with I your day. It. I appreciate it. I want to tell you one thing, though, that um, I don't know if you knew a store in the East Village in the in the 80s called Iriites. It was a reggae record shop near Tompkins Square Park. Um, I, I never went there. OK, but, we- but I, the, the woman who ran it is an avid listener of Rockers Arena and a friend of mine. So oh, she great. wrote in, She we talk on my little Facebook page during the show, and uh-huh. when we played Genius of Love, she said, this is all you heard while walking the streets in the Lower East Side at the time. Claps yeah. and all. It, <laughs> yeah, it was, that was a, a real blessing for Tina and me. Yay. Yeah. yeah. Well, yay. Yeah. All right. Well, as was knowing Robbie Shakespeare and uh, God bless him. Yeah. 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 Robbie. Robbie. Robbie Bass Spear and Slide Drumbar. I mean, even their names just lent themselves to exactly who they were talent wise, you know? Yes, it sounds like a couple of English and Scottish lords. <laughs> Lord Basepear. <laughs> oh, Chris, all right, to better news and better days, but grateful for legacies that, you know, are just forever. Absolutely. Thank you, Amy. All right. Thanks a million. Thanks a million trillion for uh, spending time today on the airwaves. It was a pleasure. All All the best. Same. And I'm ending with a song I know you love.
As we honor the life of Robbie Shakespeare, we thank Chris Rance a million, like so million times heartily thank you because he just shared stories with us that, you know, you would never hear anywhere else. Thank you, Chris. That was so meaningful. And we look forward to uh, your next show here on WPKN. I'm the Night Nurse. Thank you for checking in. The name of this show is Rockers Arena. And today it's all about Robbie Shakespeare. He also worked with, and I think Chris mentioned this, the man called Peter Tosh. Rolling Stone called this one of the top of Robbie's offerings. What do you think? Down, press some man, where you gonna run? 